0: The Ruth Page School of Dance at the Ruth Page Center for the Arts provides the highest level of training to young dancers and professionals. Register now for the school's Summer Dance Workshop, a two-week program for beginning dancers ages 7 to 14, with no audition required. For more information, visit ruthpage.org. Dance friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. And I'm Lydia Murray. We are editors at Dance Media. And in this episode, we're going to begin with an absolutely packed headline rundown, including major news from several different corners of the dance world. Then we will discuss a deeply thoughtful essay by New York City ballet principal Russell Janssen about the politics of the potida de and what it means to be a ballet gentleman, quote unquote, in 2022. And finally, we'll talk about another really insightful piece in which the dance artist Rosie Herrera considers her intimate relationship with social media and how it has affected her creative practice. First though, here is just a brief plug for the new episode of the Dance Edit Extra, our premium audio interview series, which will be out this Saturday on Apple Podcasts. This time around, I talked to the brilliant dancer and choreographer Peizhu Qianpat, who is probably best known for her work as a performer with the Martha Graham Dance Company. But now she has a new role as one of the leaders of Naini Chen Dance Company following Naini Chen's tragic death last December. And I talked with Peizhu about how being a keeper of the flame is sort of a through line in her career, and also about how crucial the work of the 90 Chen Dance Company feels right now as violence and hate against Asian Americans is on the rise. So I hope you can listen to the interview. Again, it'll be out this Saturday, May 14th on Apple Podcasts, and you can search for the Dance at Extra there, or you can follow the direct link in this episode's show notes. Okay, now it's time for our very substantial headline rundown.
1: First up, American Ballet Theater has announced that Susan Jaffe will be its next artistic director. Jaffe received international acclaim during her 22-year career with the company and was appointed Pittsburgh Ballet Theatre's artistic director in July 2020 after serving as the Dean of Dance at University of North Carolina School of the Arts for eight years. She will take the helm of ABT from Kevin McKenzie, who has spent 30 years in the position, in December. Huge congratulations to her.
0: Yes, big congrats to Susan. That is major news, long-awaited news. Um, It is pretty encouraging that, as of the end of this year, three of the top ten ballet companies in the country by budget will have female leaders, as our friends at Dance Data Project noted. That number was formerly just one, Lourdes Lopez at Miami City Ballet. So change is slow, but it's happening. The 2022 Tony Award nominees were announced on Monday, and there are Dance Folk's all over the list, but particularly notable are two choreographer-directors who receive nods for both Best Direction and Best Choreography. That's Camille A. Brown for her work on For Colored Girls and Christopher Wheeldon for MJ. The Best Choreography category is also, as usual, absolutely stacked. It includes not just Brown and Weildon, but also Warren Carlyle, Carrie Ann and Gruey, and Bill T. Jones. And then tap genius Jared Grimes also got a Best Featured Actor nomination for Funny Girl, and breakout star Miles Frost got a Best Leading Actor nom for MJ.
1: And continuing the Tony-related news, fresh off her Best Supporting Actress Oscar win for Anita in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake, Ariana DeBose will host the Tony Awards this year on Sunday, June 12th at Radio City Music Hall. Oh,
0: that's so great. We saw Ariana bring all this awesome theater kid energy when she hosted SNL, and now she'll bring that same energy to theater kid prom. I just, (laughs) I can't wait. Here is some sadder Broadway news with a silver lining, although that lining also has an asterisk appended. So the Camille Brown-directed revival of For Colored Girls announced that it will close early later on this month after struggling to attract audiences. That's the sad news. The silver lining is that theater journalist Ayanna Prescott and publicist Lisa Goldberg have, since that announcement, been leading a Twitter campaign to help save the show, tweeting out free pairs of tickets for women or non-binary people of color. Those tickets have been sponsored by all kinds of Broadway legends, including Cheetah Rivera, B.B. Newworth, and choreographer Lauren Lattaro. So that's the silver lining. Now here's the asterisk. Some people were upset about a New York One segment about the campaign that did not credit Prescott, who is black, but did call out Goldberg, who is white. It seems that since that segment aired, though, the Broadway community and some other press outlets have really rallied around Prescott. And the big news is that the campaign has led to more than $15,000 worth of donated tickets. So it is making a real difference.
1: I was so excited to see um, Prescott's efforts around this um, when this kind of started on Twitter and to see what it's growing into is just really, really great. Yeah. Several former dancers have called for Patricia Barker, uh, the Royal New Zealand Ballet's artistic director, to resign after multiple accusations of inappropriate behavior were made against her husband, who is ballet master Michael Auer. According to the news outlet TVNZ, Auer has been dismissed as ballet master, but the company has thus far declined to confirm that. New Zealand's arts, culture, and heritage minister said in an emailed statement that she had been given assurances that, quote, a robust and appropriate process, end quote, had been conducted. A complicated story. We have
0: a link to a news piece about it in the show notes. You can learn more. More ballet leadership news. Two months after resigning as director of Moscow's Danislavsky Ballet over the Russian invasion of Ukraine, French ballet star Laurent Hilaire has been named artistic director of Germany's Bavarian State Ballet. Hilaire is replacing former director Igor Zelensky, the Russian dance artist who left in April, citing personal reasons. More musical chairs. Mm.
1: Former New York City ballet principal Abby Stafford Lilo recently spoke to the New York Times about the end of her time at the company, including feeling body shamed and feeling ignored in casting decisions.
0: Yeah, that seems very messy. We have a link to the New York Times story in the show notes. Oh, speaking of messy. Oh, my gosh. Last week, The Cut published an in-depth article about the allegations that the talent agency 7M, which represents a bunch of TikTok famous dancers, is a religious cult, quote unquote. Um, The piece not only explains the many complicated facets of the 7M story, but also connects it to stories from several years ago about Street Kingdom, a group of crump dancers that seem to have a similar kind of religion-based hold on its members. This is one that I I simply can't do justice to in a three-sentence summary. Please do go read the whole cut article, which we of course have linked for you.
1: Yeah, that story was just absolutely wild, to say the least. It is a roller coaster. But, completely different note, um, the American (laughs) Academy of Arts and Sciences has elected 261 new members, including Kyle Abraham, Miguel Gutierrez, and Mark Bemuthi-Joseph.
0: And more congrats are in order. The Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU has also announced its 2022 to 23 fellows. They are scholar Anurima Banerjee, choreographer Hope Boykin, historian Brooke Holmes, and musicologist Kara Yu Lehman. And their projects sound fascinating. Please go check out the NYU release in the show notes to learn a little bit more about them.
1: The new home of the Debbie Allen Dance Academy is officially up and running. It is housed inside the Rhymes Performing Arts Center, which was a gift from Shonda Rhymes. The space features five dance studios, a 200-seat performance area, and classrooms for the Debbie Allen Middle School of the Performing Arts. There are also a studio theater and art gallery, which Allen wants to become a gathering space for performers and creatives. The new center held its grand opening in March, then had a ceremony on April 10th, and Dance Academy classes began earlier this month
0: i know that debbie allen and shonda rhimes are like great friends who work together all the time on Grey's anatomy but do you also have a a hard time even just imagining them together in the same room because they're both such intense forces of nature
1: (laughs) they seem like just a a dynamic duo (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah um anyway that sounds like a fantastic development for the la dance scene Across the country in New York City, and New York City Street has officially been named in honor of Ballet Icon and National Dance Institute founder Jacques d'Amboise. The northwest corner of West 64th Street and Columbus Avenue, which is right in front of Lincoln Center, is now Jacques Dambois place. And the new sign was revealed just before New York City Ballet's gala last week. At the dedication ceremony, some of the children from NDI paid tribute to d'Amboise with a couple of performances.
1: Remember the viral dancing baby gif from the 90s? Oh, do I. <laughs> well, it's getting a new look with boosted color tones and a sharper image quality, and it'll be released in different forms, recreated by various artists as a collection of NFTs, because of course it is. Um, the overhaul is being led by its original creators, Michael Girard, Robert Lurier, and John Chadwick in collaboration with the Vienna-based creative group HFA Studio. Here is a
0: different bit of nostalgia-driven news. Dance Dance Revolution has been inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame. The game was first seen in Japan in 1998. It, of course, went on to basically take over the world. Um, I don't know. I love DDR, but Lydia, maybe you had these same experiences. My most vivid memories are of... Friends expecting me to be an excellent DDR player <laughs> because I was a dancer, and me being like, no, those skills are entirely unrelated. <laughs> very, very
1: different. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. So that's our last headline item. But before we move on from headlines, I wanted to note that while our roundup catches most of the big dance news stories each week, there are tons of noteworthy performances and events going on that we don't have time to get to, which it feels really good to say that after all these months of dance drought. So To make sure that you're not missing out on any upcoming shows or auditions or other dancey stuff that's happening in your area, please do check out the Dance Media Events Calendar, which is super handy. You can actually add your own events to the list. It's also a great way to promote them. You can find the events calendar at dancemediacalendar.com. There's some great auditions on there right now, actually. Okay. So in our first discussion segment today, we'd like to discuss an essay that Russell Jansen, who's one of New York City Ballet's standout principal dancers, wrote for the New York Times. And it's kind of a, a tortured piece. There's a lot of struggle in it, but it's rooted in deep reflection. And it does a beautiful job articulating complicated feelings that I think a lot of us have been dealing with recently. So in the essay, Janssen considers the politics of ballet partnering, Like, what does it mean to be a ballet, quote unquote, gentleman on stage as a queer person in 2022, as the ballet world grapples with questions of representation and your own company grapples with accusations of sexual misconduct? How do you find space for yourself in an environment that doesn't always align with the way that you think about the world?
1: One thing Jensen addresses in this piece is that there's something of a power imbalance in the way padada de has traditionally been done, um, where the man supports but also leads and is very much the strong, traditionally masculine figure exerting a great deal of control. Um, and in the central padada de in Agon, for example, there's that sort of iconic moment where the male dancer stretches his partner's working leg in attitude. And Jansen talks about how that felt kind of cruel to execute, uh, despite his female partners being comfortable with the movement, because it essentially required him to push the ballerina into this unnatural shape. And that section was only a small piece of choreography, but it reflects the broader question of what it means to be a gentleman and what it means to be a supportive male partner in ballet today. Um, So much of partnering in ballet comes from those traditional gender roles and the idea of this delicate kind of femininity of a performance of fragility that belies a great strength uh, and where the man kind of shows deference to the woman in a sense um, and to her ability to embody that ideal, but he retains much of the power. And that's true not only of roles and choreography in ballet, but also often ballet workplaces. Um, and in connection with these outmoded gender roles, Jansen also discussed the way the dynamic between a male and female dancer in Pasadena da is often romantically or sexually charged. And that as a queer male dancer, there can be an opportunity to move beyond that being just two equal dancing artists. Uh, and he talks about how when he was younger, he thought that the romantic chemistry between two dancers made for a better performance. But now... Um, when he's felt like he was dancing his best, he's felt in his words, unbound, like he was released from that pressure of um, being as he put a regal or manly or of needing to articulate himself as anything specific. He said he could just move his body and feel like himself a queer person who loves to dance and who loves to dance with a partner.
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to read a passage of his from the essay about about how he sort of wrapped his mind around all of that or rather about the conclusion that he came to after thinking about all of this extensively. So he says, quote, the role of the cavalier ballet's gentleman has been described as an attendant to a queen, but to attend can mean more than just to serve. To attend is to be attentive. As dancers, we always have to be attentive to the moment and to the music, attentive to one another, and dancing attentively need not rely only on romance or sexuality. It's the care that is essential, end quote. Um, I thought that was sort of beautiful, because there he sort of distilled down what is most important and valuable to him as a partner, and a way to prioritize those values, even inside these old fashioned roles, so that he's always dancing with integrity and conviction, because he's always being true to himself.
1: Yeah, I mean, it ultimately does boil down to care and trust. Mm -hmm. I also
0: liked, I mean, a lot of this piece, as you mentioned, focuses on Agon. Which, by the way, I just saw the company perform Agon last night. I saw Unity Fallon make her debut. She was incredible. But yeah, watching that Patata de feels very different after reading this story. Um, but Russell talks about how he and his partner Tess Reichlin both felt uncomfortable inside the choreography. And so instead decided to look for new ways of being inside of it. Um, Russell mentioned that he remembered hearing Arthur Mitchell, the original, from the original cast, describe the Patata de as two kittens playing. And in that image, they found their way of approaching the ballet. They found new possibilities that allowed for that mutual care. Yeah. I mean, I think it's beautiful that dancers like Russell are thinking deeply about these questions and finding their own paths through ballet repertoire. Um, I do hope that more of this kind of thinking makes its way into ballet training and coaching, so it's not all left to the dancers to figure
1: out, you know? I wonder if this could be part of the work of intimacy coaches in mm-hmm. the future, um, even though it's not solely intimacy work, but it does touch on that. It would be interesting to see. Yeah,
0: that does seem closely connected for sure.
1: Um, basically,
0: all that we're saying here is is that we think you should go read this essay, <laughs> which is wonderful. We've linked to it, of course, in the show notes. Last up today, we wanted to discuss a great recent piece from Dance Magazine in which the choreographer and artistic director Rosie Herrera thinks about what her relationship with social media and other online technologies has become and what impact that relationship has had on her work as an artist. And like Russell's essay, this is a really well-considered treatment of some questions that we've basically all been asking ourselves over the past few years. But it was spurred by Rosie deciding to take what turned out to be several months-long breaks from social media, which started back in August 2020. She was doing that. And what she discovered was that her time online had been filling... Every potential moment, her mind might have to wander. It was sort of eliminating the quiet spaces in which creativity usually thrives. And then she also started thinking about the performative aspect of social media, the difference between the persona she'd curated online and her in-person identity. There's there's lots to unpack here.
1: Yeah, Herrera came to notice that she was disassociating from the world, and she said that she wasn't engaging in social media in a way that was meaningful or sincere. Um, she never you know, as Margaret said, never really had a chance for her mind to kind of wander and for that experience to bear fruit creatively, you know, something meaningful would happen in rehearsal. And she'd think, well, let me put this on social media so people can see it. Who hasn't really had that experience? Mm -hmm. All of these are things many dancers can relate to, I think. And it's, it's about being mindful of how you relate to technology. For some dancers, there might be more of a symbiotic relationship, but for others, it can more easily become damaging. And she talked about integrating your digital persona with who you are physically, because the two can easily become disconnected, and what that means for a dancer. Um, It's sort of an age old question, you know, people have been crafting their images and experiencing the tension between who they are and how they present themselves for generations. But I loved how she phrased it that in dancing, what you think and feel becomes visible to the audience when you're together. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's felt and understood deeply. And as technology evolves, it keeps raising new forms and extensions of these longer standing challenges like the relationship between self-knowledge and self-expression and whether you're listening to your own inner voice as opposed to the voices of the outside world and what you learn in the process. Yeah, yeah,
0: I also thought it was so cool that she's using this thinking that she's been doing now as a creative prompt, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, like the the integration of her online identity and her physical self in dance, because that's a place where yeah, that's it's dance is conducive to that kind of exploration. Um, she jokes at one point that she and her phone are in couples counseling because their relationship is so messed up. And I was <laughs> thinking, you know, this kind of creative process actually feels like it could be a productive couples counseling sort of exercise, a way to like work through what's bothering her about that relationship and maybe in the process, exercise some demons. Very true. And I also thought it was interesting that when she was talking about how social media has led her to, to disassociate from the world, this thing of constantly engaging with everybody, but only superficially with no real deep intimacy. The idea that that then prevented her from having the time for real dissociation, or actually, dissociation is not quite the right word, but for her to really disconnect from reality mm. in the way that we do when we daydream, when and our minds really are free to roam. Yes, exactly. So, social media was making her feel at once less connected to the world in a meaningful way and less connected to her own creative mind in a meaningful way. Two different effects of the same thing which i thought was was fascinating the way that she articulated that i thought was great (laughs) um anyway this is another great article we've got the link for you in our notes please give it a read all right that's it for us this week thanks everyone for joining we'll be back next week for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world keep learning keep advocating and keep dancing bye everyone The Dance Edit podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoin, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.